HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by the International Culinary Center, offering courses that range from classic French techniques in culinary, pastry, and bread baking to Italian studies to management, from culinary technology to food writing, from cake making to wine tasting. For more information, visit culinarycenter.com. This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. We're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, September 23rd, 2015, and this is the 79th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is a top COO at an outstanding restaurant group, and I will introduce him in a, mo- a moment. First, as I do in every show, I will start out with my PR tip. Then later, we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. Today's tip is on the importance of a strong staff. Not everyone can be or should be the top dog, or in our terms, the top chef, who is in the spotlight. Although the face of a company or restaurant often gets all the recognition, there's often supporting a supporting team that helps make that person shine. The role of the behind-the-scenes players should not be underestimated. So appreciate the magnitude of a fabulous support crew. That's my tip today. Now, I'm really excited to have my guest here. It is Brett Trossi, the Chief Operating Officer of the Dynex Group, the management company of Danielle Ballou. In his role, Brett supervises everything from new concept development and design to construction and restaurant openings, overseeing the ongoing operation of Baloo's restaurants. He is a graduate of Cornell University's School of Hotel Administration and has served as food and beverage director at New York Palace's Hotel. New York's Palace Hotel. Right. Okay. Welcome, Brett. Hi, Sherry. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? I'm doing very well today. Well, thanks for coming out here joining me. Thank you so much. 
To kick it off, my question from last week, I asked Karen Page and Andrew Dornenberg, the award-winning culinary journalist who I had on the show, that was episode 78, I asked them to ask you a question, and their question is, how the heck are you? I'm doing well. I was just, <laughs> I, I think that Andrew and Karen are from Canada, and uh, we share a mutual friend, Steve Bechta, who has uh, a number of restaurants in Ottawa. But uh, I just got back this week from uh, a month in Toronto where we reopened uh, our Café Ballou in the Four Seasons Hotel in Toronto. So it was a very uh, exciting project, a very beautiful restaurant. And uh, Toronto is a super cosmopolitan city of four million and really enjoyed my time there. I was there about, I think, two years ago. I took a little solo trip, but I met up with an old family friend friend's son and um we had drinks and snacks at mm. at your restaurant and it was lovely so i didn't think it needed a revamp but i guess that's why you do what you do well they <laughs> the toronto also introduced a food and wine festival um this year at, uh, that took place a week after the film festival and we had a series of opening events and we had a party with gail simmons who uh used to work with us and uh is also yes. a Toronto native, Toronto native, so it was yes. super nice. I, I saw that actually on Twitter. I picked up about that festival. There was mm. a lot happening last weekend. Absolutely. Um, so maybe I'll have to check that out next year. looked looked good. So did you tell me? Tell me, did you always want to get into the restaurant or hotel industry? Because you did go to Cornell and or that was graduate school. So. Well, um, when uh, when I was a kid, my uh, grandfather was a chef at the Brooklawn Country Club in, in Bridgeport, Connecticut. And uh, I always remember going there and seeing the kettles and, and the tilt fryers and just, just very intrigued by the kitchen. Uh, and um, my father uh, absolutely hated the industry. He hated that uh, his father was always away. Um, on all the holidays and just worked uh, long hours. Um, but um, I was somehow drawn to it, somehow drawn to it. So um, I, uh, my first job was uh, a dishwasher at Friendly's ah. that, uh, that I did in, uh, in high school and, you know, just slowly got sucked in more and more into the industry. But I always enjoyed... Um, eating out, we used to always uh, have a nice special birthday dinner in the restaurant of my choice, and uh, just got into the business that way. That's that's good to know. Friendlies. <laughs> mm -hmm. What? Um, where did you work first after after you graduated from Cornell? Um, I worked at the uh, Omni Park Central Hotel, which is now the Park Central Hotel on Seventh Avenue and Fifty Sixth Street. And uh, I started as the assistant banquet manager and uh, was able to work my way up uh, to the uh, food and beverage director of the hotel um, in, over the course of four years. And then you, when, when did you join New York Palace and work with Le Cirque? Well, I, um, when, I was at, uh, when I was at school, I... Um, uh, dropped out for a semester, and I, I uh, had worked for Daniel Ballou as a room service cook and then garmage at the Plaza Tenet Hotel. And mm -hmm. so that was in 1985, and I worked there with Daniel Jonas. I worked there with Drew Nieperant, 
a lot of talented yeah. uh, people went through that kitchen. And in the summer of 87, um, which was the summer after all of my classmates had graduated, I worked the summer at Le Cirque. So the, um, in uh, 91, I had left the um, Omni Park Central, and my wife and I lived in uh, the Caribbean for four years, in, in both Bonaire and Aruba. Nice. And uh, in <laughs> September of 95, we moved back uh, to take the F&B job at the Palace. I mean, what was it like living in the Caribbean and working? Did you... Was, that's not really work. <laughs> no. <laughs> trust me, it's... it's uh, it's like it, it's work because you know you really you have a clientele with very high expectations, and you have a workforce that um, you know the, the, you have a workforce that has less less urgency, not necessarily less urgency than anywhere else in the world, but um, you know it's your job as a, a hotel executive to reconcile those those two sides of the uh, equation. But I certainly did a lot more scuba diving and tennis than, than I am now. So, <laughs> yeah, I imagine. But you missed. You must. Did you miss the drive and the the energy of of a city like New York? Is that absolutely okay? I would never leave again. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it just uh, every chance we could, we'd uh, get back to New York, largely for the dining. But just the the energy of New York is is found in very few places. Right. No, that's how I feel. I, I feel there's nothing like New York City, and you either love it or you you like it, and you experience it, and then right. you move on. Maybe Hong Kong. I haven't been there, uh -huh. so I don't know. But um, you'd possibly move to Hong Kong. I'd move to Hong Kong, ah. yeah. Mm. Well, good thing to consider. But, yeah, not for me yet. I have to visit <laughs> first. So... So you knew Danielle from from back in the eighties, mm -hmm. and then how did you how did you uh, re meet him or, or get this opportunity to to work with the Dynex Group? Well, it, it's all really a big circle because uh, one of the major factors uh, where I think I got the job at the Palace was because the marketing plan was to attract Sirio and the family to bring Le Cirque to the palace based on the fact that their lease was expiring on 65th Street and uh, they needed a new home. And uh, the people who had... Uh, Le Cirque was originally in the Mayfair Regent Hotel, 65th and Park, and uh, the Colony Capital had purchased it um, intending to convert it to luxury condominiums and they wanted a... Uh, restaurateur to take the ground floor and uh, so the Cirque moved to the palace at the same time that Colony uh, offered Danielle a, uh, a deal to buy not just the old Le Cirque space but the, almost the entire ground floor and uh, that's when the Dynex Group was formed and uh, after I had worked at the palace for two and a half years and reopened Le Cirque to, or opened Le Cirque 2000, then Danielle came calling. So I started back with Danielle in May of 1993. Wow, that's a long I'm history. Sorry, May of 1998. Yeah. Okay, still a long history. Mm -hmm. That's when I moved to New York. So what was your initial role with, with Danielle? Well, at the time, we had uh, just the two restaurants. We had Restaurant Danielle, 
which uh, was at 2076 Street, where Cafe Blue is now. And we also had Payard Patisserie and Bistro on uh, mm. Lexington Avenue. So I work with Francois. Oh, I love and Francois. So do I. <laughs> so do I. And, uh, and the, the plan was to move Danielle at that point and open Cafe Blue as we did. Uh, but um, I started in March. We closed Danielle in July. We opened Cafe Baloo in September, and then uh, Restaurant Danielle in its current iteration opened in January of 99. I've been to the new iterations of, of all these, of the places. I didn't get to the old ones, but I'm such a huge fan of Danielle Baloo and all of his restaurants, and I'm pretty in awe of of, it, of the company and what you do. So with, with I mean, what's, what's like a day in the life? Like, how do you... I mean, concept development or new restaurants, like how do you, how do you manage or what, what, you know, in a day, what are you, what are you doing or with these new openings? How did it, how did it work with creating new restaurants? Well, there's no, there's no typical day. Uh, Anyone who knows Danielle well knows that he uh, likes to juggle a lot of balls at the same time and is, is really, uh, Never satisfied, um, never satisfied with what he has or the quality level of, of anything. And, and so there's no, that's the love of my job is there's no typical day. Um, we uh, have challenges in different restaurants and different places. We have tastings, we have meetings and conference calls. Um, so, so there's just, we're running in a lot of uh, uh, different directions. Yeah, well, I read in another bio of yours I saw online about how your professionalism, stubbornly positive attitude, and flexible approach complement Danielle's energy and creativity. <laughs> Thank you, Georgette Farkas. Uh, Georgette, that's love Georgette too. She's uh, yeah. Well, that's but that that seems to make sense. I mean, knowing Danielle, he is. Um, well, I've never worked with him, but just I see the energy, and you you know the creativity's there. So. Um, you must balance him out, right? Well, I, I, um, I, I think that I, I do, and I'm able to follow through on some of his ideas. Uh, and he's, he's really forced to move from from item to item to event uh, very, very quickly. And so uh, I, I take it from there and, and execute what uh, what we want to go forward and uh, kind of wrap up those things that uh, that we don't. Yeah, you make it sound easy. <laughs> <laughs> Simple. But I always, I mean, he's he's out and about. I see him at a lot of events. And not only I might be there attending, but he's hosting it. You mm-hmm. know, he's he's the one cooking and, and, and leading the show. It's right. a lot. Right, right. And he, he, it's his nature never to be satisfied. So when we do an event, he's always adding layers to it and uh, complexity to it. And in the end, just like just like the food or uh, restaurant design, it's constantly improving things. But, uh, you know, doing it on the fly can, uh, can also be challenging at times. But we all understand our role. We know that we, and, and it's easy because we admire the man so much, but uh, always trying to paint him in the most positive light and if, if we throw a party, we want it to be the, the most memorable party that uh, you go to that, that week or month or year. 
Well, you do a great job at that, and I, I think you you do accomplish that, especially when Danielle gets on the bar, which she likes to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's always a, a great a great uh, showcase of food and hospitality. So. Um, at least from my eyes. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so we're going to take a little break here and come back, talk some more with Brett. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Culinary Center is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network.org. The ICC, with locations in New York and California, provide cutting edge education to future chefs, restaurateurs, and wine professionals. We're proud to claim Dan Barber, Bobby Flay, and David Chang among our honored alumni. This is Dorothy Can Hamilton from Chef Story. Check out our ICC website at internationalculinarycenter.com. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Brett Trossi, Chief Operating Officer at the Dynex Group. So I was on your website counting how many restaurants are now currently in the Dynex Group, and I got 17. Mm-hmm. Is that That's correct? correct? Okay. Very accurate. <laughs> With eight in New York. So, I mean, it seems... Let's talk about New York City first, because there's there's... Danielle, which the flagship, the most most elegant, and then a lot of the other ones, like the uh, a little more casual. Um, but maybe you can explain like the different styles of restaurants, and then how you work with them, or how the concepts came about being developed. Well, one of our major challenges financially is that um, even our most casual restaurant, DBGB, is not that casual. Uh, in a way, and we uh, more often than not buy uh, buy the same food as we do. Certainly at Cafe Blue, but uh, oftentimes, uh, oftentimes the same vendors as uh, Danielle. And our service levels and staffing levels uh, are very high. We're we're not cutting corners, and uh, so that's a that's a big challenge for us. Um, but um you know we try and tailor um we try and tailor the formality of each restaurant and the and the theme to uh the neighborhood that it's in and um the the trends at the time and whenever we open a restaurant we always feel like okay this is the one that we can 
uh, replicate and, and cookie cutter. But the, the reality is um, that uh, it's not as interesting to cookie cutter as to come up with something new every time. So we really look at it like children where you can seemingly develop and raise two children the same way and they turn out um, completely opposite or, or certainly distinct individuals. That's a good analogy. Yeah, well, the, I've I've been to all the ones in New York, and actually I was thinking about this at Cafe Baloo when Gavin was there, mm-hmm. another great person. Um, I had my celebrity sighting. Woody Allen was there that night. Mm-hmm. He lives so right around the corner. <laughs> um, I think you get, you get, yeah, you get a little more of the Upper East Side, maybe celebrity type mm-hmm. following. I live by Columbus, Columbus Circle and Lincoln Center, so mm-hmm. you have Blue Sued, you have Barbalude, and... I can't pronounce it. How do you, the cafe? A pizzeria blue. Yeah, I I would blow that. But I love having them in the neighborhood. Um, mm-hmm. I feel they're a little more, I guess, approachable than maybe, or 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 I could be more of a regular there at least, um, budget wise or I don't know price point. Is it that different, or am I just thinking? No, no, no. <laughs> there the the uh, the three operations there are on. Uh, three slightly different levels. They all um, share, they have each have their separate kitchens, but they all share the same receiving and employee uh, facilities. But Balutsud would be um, the most formal and upscale of uh, the three. And uh, it's nice for a, a special occasion. It's great before the opera. Um, Bar Blue is uh, a little bit more walk in, it has that huge. Uh, terrace in front of it and Mm -hmm. it's it's just used by so many neighbors um and and so many residents uh there on uh let's not say if not a daily basis but certainly weekly we have weekly regulars and monthly regulars there's a lot of people and the love of a pizzeria baloo and and the oyster bar on a day like today when we can throw open the sliding glass doors and you could have a hot dog or a half dozen oysters and a glass of rosé. It's really, um, I, you know, if I were to go to a concert at Lincoln Center, I'm sure I would be running and late. And a pizzeria is perfect to uh, to stop off at quarter to the, you know, even seven o'clock. Have again a, a sandwich or a salad, a cup of coffee, a glass of champagne, and off to the off to the symphony. It's great for the neighborhood, and and even the look of it when you walk by, there's always a great energy coming out of the sidewalk seating. And uh, no, I lo- I love being nearby. Um, mm-hmm. When you when you're putting restaurants in other cities, and and the others, well, first, how have you chosen the other cities uh, Daniel's opened in? And it seems those restaurants are on the more the casual side. Maybe you're, I don't know. There's a lot of I didn't write down all of the different names. There was a lot of blue something. <laughs> right. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of blue going around out yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Well, the first one that we opened uh, in 2003 uh, outside of New York was uh, at Cafe Blue in Palm Beach. And we did that because uh, so many of our customers uh, find themselves there in the winter. And it... it for um, all the things that uh, that people say to malign it, it's a fun place to be, 
and uh, our uh, again our regulars are are often there in the winter and um, so we we've always been we've always been very successful that was uh, that was very easy for us um, but we have several um, we have several different concepts uh, um, with um, similar partners or the same partners we uh, for example we opened. Uh, a barbaloo in London with Mandarin Oriental hotels. We just couldn't resist the the glamour of uh, of London and the Mandarin, which backs up to Hyde Park. And uh, that restaurant has been an absolute home run uh, and pleasure to operate since the day it opened. And so recently, we opened a barbaloo in uh, at uh, the Mandarin in uh, Boston. Again. Beautiful hotel, right located 50 or 100 feet from the uh, from the finish line of the Boston Marathon, and uh, again, beautiful design by Adam Tahani, and uh, it's been uh, it's been great. And by the same token, our restaurant in Las Vegas is in the Venetian Casino, which is uh, the same owner as our uh, DB Bistro in uh, in Singapore. Yeah, well, that makes sense. How how often are you traveling to these these different cities and visiting the properties? Um, you know, there's really um, there's really no hard and fast uh, uh, equation for that. Um, there are times where um, you need to be in certain restaurants more, like uh, with this re- renovation that we've taken on in Toronto. We've been there. I've been there a lot uh, this year. Um, our general manager, uh, after many years, left in Singapore. So I've been to Singapore twice this year and will probably have a follow-up visit uh, later on this year. Do you have any time to sightsee when you're there, or is it all business? No. Thomas Keller once <laughs> told me, if you like the city, um, never open a restaurant there. It's <laughs> funny. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, what what do you, what would you say are do you love most about your job, and, or what are the challenges? Well, the, the I think the challenges are are keeping all the details uh, going at the same time, and uh, really knowing um, when uh, to uh, take control of a situation or a problem and when to let the, the chefs and general managers uh, run with it as well. Um, but um, what I like about it is that it's absolutely different every day. And a, a lot of times, um, I, you know, I feel like the general manager of the Yankees or, or maybe even the Mets, but uh, that I'm really uh, privileged to be... Um, uh, the leader of an organization that has so many talented people, um, so many talented people in it, and people who are just so passionate about cooking, about beer, about wine, about service, and, and that's really a privilege. That's a great way to to close this part of the show because, um, yeah, I love that. And, uh, yeah. Okay, I'm not going to say anything else. We're going to close close this part of the, this, this show, and we're going to take a little break. And we're going to come back. We're going to do my speed round game and talk some industry news. So this is all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. I 
paying attention are you there hello 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 i'm talking to you hi hey this is jack insley i'm the executive producer here at heritage radio network i've been here at the station since 2009 and i cannot believe just how much this network has grown over that time we've been able to grow because of donations from people like you so if you're enjoying this if you laughed if you learned something contribute anything a dollar, two dollars, ten dollars, a hundred dollars, a thousand dollars, anything counts. And trust me, we'll appreciate seeing your name come through on the donations. So consider visiting heritageradionetwork.org, click on that little beating heart, the donate button, and show us you care. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy the rest of the show. Okay, we're back. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Brett Trossi, the Chief Operating Officer at the Dynex Group. It's time for my speed round game. So what this is, is I name two things, and you just pick your preference. Okay. Oh, okay. Here we go. Nervous. Don't be nervous. Eat in or eat out? Eat out. Wine, beer, cocktail, or mocktail? Beer. Tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. Small plates or large plates? Large. Communal table or chef's counter? Both. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Tipping. Hotel restaurants or independent restaurants? Independent. Giants or jets? Clearly giants. I read that somewhere, too. <laughs> Two more. Cheese plate or dessert? Dessert. Manhattan or Brooklyn? Brooklyn. You got the speed of the game. You're excellent. Thank you. Yeah, some people, some people, the, the the show turns into the game because it turns into just a long conversation about every every uh, answer. Well, I have plenty of opinions <laughs> about some of those uh, questions, but well, well, one of them, which is in my my industry news, I don't know if you get your opinion on this one. So let's talk about this article that was in Eater last week. Tom Colicchio eliminates tipping during Kraft's lunch service. Dinner could follow. It's by Ryan Sutton. So what I've found doing doing my game is that this uh, I ask the tipping uh, or all inclusive charge question and it's changed. I have to go back and listen to see get the number count, but up to about fifty episodes, everyone was tipping. Mm-hmm. Slowly, it's kind of and people are hesitating on it. So this is Tom Colicchio, who people know from Top Chef Judge and uh, of his craft restaurants formerly of Gramercy Tavern, very well popular chef. So um, he's decided for lunch he's he's going to say prices are all-inclusive. He's removing the tip line from credit cards, checks, and he's guaranteeing a higher base wave for his staff. So mm. what do you think, and is this something Danielle might or you guys might consider doing? Well, first of all, it's a much more complicated issue than I think the general public realizes um, and um, I at our end of the business and I certainly include uh, uh, Tom in that um, that I think in the long term it will hurt the front of the house uh, staff for the benefit of the back of the house staff um, 
I don't think really in either case it will benefit the the hotel op uh, the restaurant operator in any way. But uh, I do think uh, the the way the laws uh, are set up and the um, the way the law protects the tips and the tip pool and and to really those safeguards that make sure that when you pay a tip it goes to the person who gave you service. Um, that the the servers are particularly well protected in New York State. And so that's why you have a situation where in an upscale restaurant, uh, your captain or, or even your busser is making 50 or 60 or 80 or 100,000 and uh, where your cooks are making 35 or 45 or, or 50,000. And whenever tips are involved or even a service charge, um, uh, people think serv- when they see service charge on their check, that's something that can be shared with the back well in uh, the back of the house. In New York State, it can't. So I think as time goes on, uh, that the waiters will find that their hourly rate will shrink, and and that will be used um, for a number of reasons. But I think it will also be used to have the back of the house wages grow. So I'm not sure um, that at our end of the business, at the high end of the business, that it will really uh, long-term benefit the front of the house staff. Yeah, it is a complicated issue. I don't know. I have lots of thoughts in my head, just even back. Well, when I wor- I lived in Chicago, I, I was a server at Charlie Trotter's, and I was salaried, and that was in 1997. Mm-hmm. And then I, from there, I got a job as a I left to cook. I was a server there. And um, I was at Garmanger cook at a, a jazz club making $7 an hour. And I kept thinking, the service, the waiters, they're making like triple what I'm making. Like, what am I doing back here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I think there has always been that difference between the back of the house and the front of the house. And um, it seems this is a direction things might go to even it out. And I don't know if both, well, I think cooks will be happy but i don't know service staff how it's it's a huge change that, that's my point exactly there are there are waitresses uh in las vegas uh or any other place that might work three days a week and make a thousand dollars a night when they work so going forward if you ran that nightclub would you need to continue to pay someone uh two hundred dollars an hour in order to work there, or do you think you can find an adequate employee for 150 or 100? And what will happen to that extra money that you used to pay that's now built into the price? Right. So I, I um, again, and we're talking a very specialized and a very small slice of the industry, but within our slice, um, uh, all-inclusive pricing is not the simple way to go answer. Okay. Well, I'm gonna. We're, we're, I'm following this story. It's uh, you know, I think it's 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 not going to go away. It's just going to keep keep adding on what's happening. I, I think the trend will continue, and I think that we uh, may very well. Uh, speaking about uh, our company, the and Danielle, uh, will get there. But um, I certainly, in our case, we're not ready uh, to go there. And uh, it's it's just a, a extremely complicated uh, concept. People who think that uh, it immediately solves some 
problem uh, that uh, our our uh, wait staff is impoverished is uh, not the case in in uh, upscale restaurants. I agree. All right. Well, I'll I'll have to. Well, I'll keep 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 on this story. So another article today that came out in the New York Times Restaurant Review, Gabriel Kruther, that's how I'm pronouncing it, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, three stars by Pete Wells. And uh, have you been to... I have been. Okay. It's uh, very close to DB Bistro on, on uh, oh, Gabriel's right. Restaurant. Mm-hmm. It's on 42nd. We're on 44th. But uh, I was very impressed. Yes. I was very impressed. I I, uh, I thought that three stars is is very well deserved. And... and um, I, I, the restaurant feels very fresh and a little more casual. It's it's clear that Gabriel does not want to be a casual restaurant and uh, has been afforded the opportunity to do something spectacular. But uh, it doesn't feel stuffy at all. It feels very fresh. I like the colors and uh, um, I like the creativity and thought that's gone into absolutely everything there. Yeah, I agree. I dine there. And I had a great meal. And the design, which Glenn Coben did, I think he, he somehow was able to make it feel um, comfortable, yet it is a refined, elegant setting. Um, I think their price point being four courses, $98. People might laugh that I'm saying this, but it's I think it's very reasonable for mm. especially what tasting menus are charging nowadays. Most tasting menus are... Oh, at least to close to 200 250 it seems at and a lot of the pop-up restaurants and so um i felt yeah, there was value there was a lot of courses and it was delicious mm-hmm. and service was great so and i think it's a good location for that it's in midtown mm-hmm. uh you know so you don't have to scurry home and find a tie to wear not that you couldn't go in blue jeans because uh that's certainly uh the nature of dining these days but uh i was very impressed yeah, well, he did split it like he, like the modern where he came from with the bar menu is separate than the dining menu. And I had stopped in there early on and went to the bar and I just had his his flambe, the tart flambe that he's known for. Right. And um, uh, yeah, it's a nice place that you can stop in there and, and do that as well. So whatever you're looking for. But I'm happy for them. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. It's perfect uh, for after the movies at uh, Bryant Park. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe. Well, well, I, I think that's. If, I guess yeah. No, it is. You're right um, because you can go in there casual, mm-hmm. and it's a great location. I mean, right across from the park. It's 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 terrific. Good for Midtown. So the last thing I have is I just wanted to announce that coming up there is a festival PR meets NYC. It's Wednesday, September thirtieth. Through Sunday, October fourth, and this, my friend, is the founder. It's Marie Elena Martinez of Meets NYC, and so this is PR does not stand for public relations, believe it or not, stands for Puerto Rico. So it's Puerto Rico Meets NYC, and they're bringing in top chefs from Puerto Rico to cook along with New York City's best chefs like Eric Repair. They have Camille Becerra and JJ Johnson, and from. Uh, Puerto Rico, they have Jose Santella and Mario Pagan. And I'm going solo to one of the dinners uh, with Roberto Trevino and Eric Greenspan. They're doing their El Nash dinner at the Hotel Americano. So I'm going to be going. So um, if you want to check it out, it's meetsnyc.com. 
end. On that note, we're going to take one more break, come back, I'm going to do my solo dining experience. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. industry on heritage radio network i'm your host sherry bayer it's time for my solo dining experience which this week is at sedell's here's the rundown location 463 west broadway in soho nyc the concept a bakery and restaurant from major food group specializing in smoked fish house-made bagels and other jewish appetizing fare a fitting menu considering today is yom kippur the owners, Rich Teresi, Mario Carbone, and Jeff Zelaznik, in partnership with baker Melissa Weller. Why did I go? Because everyone's talking about bagels, and this restaurant group is on fire. My experience. I stopped in for lunch and was seated at a two-top up front near the takeout bakery. The space is really nice, with high ceilings and natural light. Service was friendly and eager to please. What did I get? The house salmon platter with chive cream st- cheese cream cheese and an everything house-made bagel it was served on a tower with tomato cucumbers and onions plus an extra bagel it was fancy i also had coffee and i got a sticky bun to go my take super fresh salmon and bagels a winning combo and the sticky bun was finger looking good the scene stylish new yorkers perfect for jewish deli cravings and breaking the fast interesting tidbits Jeff Zelaznik met Melissa Weller at Smorgasburg, where she was serving her bagels. She had previously worked at Per Se. Personal fun fact, bagels and locks is my favorite brunch or breakfast. Not that I have it every day. The cost, $19, not including tax and gratuity. Would I go back? Definitely. I have to try that babka. Website, sedels.com. Have you been there yet, Brett? No, I haven't been. They sent me an email uh, for uh, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur catering, but uh, I, and I hadn't known anything about it at that point, so I look forward to going. Well, it was funny. I was just planning. I didn't plan to do this review on Yom Kippur. It just happened that I went, and then I was like, oh, this is very timely. <laughs> Better be lucky than good any day. <laughs> yeah, no, um, and it's great. I would definitely go back. I don't know how these guys are 
pushing out all these amazing restaurants. I don't know, but I uh, totally agree. Uh, totally agree with you. They are alumni of uh, Cafe Blue under oh. the Andrew Carmelini regime. So uh, nice. interesting to note. Yeah. Good. Another, another interesting tidbit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So it's time for the final question. My next guest is Jamie Schweed. He is the executive vice president of Schweed and Sons, a fourth generation meat purveyor, specifically of burgers. So, Brett, can you ask Jamie a question? Jamie, my question is, why does the price of beef keep going up and up and up? Why don't they raise more cattle? I don't get it. I I will find out. I don't know. I don't know why. You would think if there's a supply and a demand problem, it would be um, not overly complicated to raise more cattle, you would think. Okay. I'm sure there's five more sides to it that I don't know. It's probably complicated, like the tipping. Yes, yes, absolutely. (laughs) But um, I will ask him. So thank you. Thank you. I enjoyed being on the show. Well, I enjoyed having you on the show. And as I said, I'm a big fan of the Dynex group and Daniel Blue and you and everything you do. So um, thank you for, for providing these amazing restaurants and hospitality. Well, please, we'll see you in one of the restaurants soon. Yes, you certainly will. So my guest today has been Brett Trossi, Chief Operating Officer at the Dynex Group. Their website's daniellebelew.com. You can find them on social media at btrossi, at Ballou Careers, and at Danielle Ballou. You can find me at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry, and my website's BayerPublicRelations.com. As a reminder, all of our shows are archived on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We have a brand new site. Check it out. We're also on Stitcher and iTunes, so you can download our episodes as podcasts and listen anywhere, anytime. Thanks to Brett, my engineer Liz, our sponsors, and everyone listening. I'm Sherry Bayer, and I'll be back next Wednesday at 4 with another live show. Thanks for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.